0: There are many voices in the Catholic Church of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston that want to bring light to their journey of faith. In His Light Podcast is a new podcast from Father Reginald Samuels, the Vicar of Catholic of African Descent of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. This podcast centers on information, stories, and experiences of the Catholics of African Descent in the Archdiocese. The aim and goal of the podcast is are to foster a culture of dialogue and engage in the many diverse cultures of African descent that are present in the Catholic community. Well, let's begin with a prayer. Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, as we send our praises up to you, please send your blessings down upon each and every one of us, allowing us to experience your love in our lives. As we come together, Lord, allow our hearts to be open to your will so that we can serve our family and friends in church with the love that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today I want to welcome... Deacon Philip Jackson, who is the director of the Permanent Deaconate for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. Welcome, Deacon Philip. Thank you very much, Father Reggie. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So, Deacon Philip, let's start off with your vocation story. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a part of the Permanent Deaconate? Sure. Um, My vocation story is
1: one that was fostered when I was a young child in, in uh, growing up in California, Oakland, California, lived right across the street from the Catholic school, Catholic church, and went to school, served as an altar boy from um, after First Communion all the way through high school, uh, came down to Texas to uh, attend Prairie View a and University, a historic uh, black college and university in Prairie View. I was serving as an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion and in discussion with the pastor at the time to go to St. Mary's Seminary to be a priest, and I was distributing communion one day, and the, the young lady that was in the choir um, came up, and I distributed communion to her, and I was going to start a prayer group, and I asked her would she lead music at the prayer group, and she said Yes. And so we started uh, our prayer group and I was going into um, the Marine Corps. I wanted to be a Marine chaplain, not knowing that the chaplains come from the Navy. And so when I was headed off to officer candidate school, I asked this young lady, Carla LeBeau at the time, would she write me once in a while? She said, I'll write you every day. And so she wrote me every day. While I was at Officer Candidate School. And when I came back, we started our prayer groups again. And she invited me over to her house for dinner. And I heard a voice say, I'm going to marry her. And I looked around and I was the only one there in the room. And I told my pastor, Father Joe Doyle, who's a Josephite priest. I said, "Uh, Father, I've got a problem. and He said, what's that? I said, I think I'm in love with Carla. And he said, "Um, you're just now figuring that out? (laughs) I said, what are you talking about? He says, everybody knows just by the way you look at her, the way you talk to her, the way you treat her. I said, but I'm going to be a priest. And he said, no, that's not what God wants for you. So I went into the Marine Corps, uh, got active with the base chaplain, distributing uh, communion, having communion services in the field with Marines and, and working on base, um, in various capacities, teaching various classes, and having an uneasiness about me of of um, what God wanted for me in my life. Now I was a husband and a father, and what was God calling me to be? And so I went on an axe retreat, and at the axe retreat, there was a man at our table, and he introduced himself as a deacon. And I said, well, what is a deacon? And again, this is in 1978. What is a deacon? I had no idea. And so he started to explain what he was doing. I said, well, I'm doing that now in the Marines. And so I inquired about the deaconate, permanent diaconate. And they said, well, you have to be 20, you have to be 35 to be ordained. And I thought, oh, no, that's that's a lifetime away because I was 25 at the time. But it was that uneasiness that the Lord was putting on my heart. I, I explained it to people. Sometimes it's an itch, and you'd scratch that itch, and you'd be satisfied, you know, teaching baptism, helping with confirmation, doing these things. And after a while, I, I inquired about the diaconate uh, here in Galveston, Houston, and um, I wasn't accepted right away into the program. And so... Um, I was thinking about it again, and I asked my, my wife, because for us as permanent deacons, we have to have the support of our wives if we're married. And I said, well, what do you think? You know, At that time, it was a four-year formation program. And she said, well, we've just had a baby. I'm not ready for that. So we waited a little longer, and I asked her again, well, what do you think? She goes, I just changed jobs. I'm not ready for that. And one day she said, I think we're ready, and this was after about almost ten years. I think we're ready, and so I, I inquired about the diaconate again, and I was accepted. And um, it has been a marvelous, a marvelous journey that the, that the Lord has uh, uh, accompanied me on. You, you, know, you look back in your rearview mirror and say, mirror, and you say, oh, that's what that was for. That's what that meant. And so it leads me to where I am today, a permanent deacon for the Catholic Church in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston.
0: So Deacon Philip, explain the difference between being a permanent deacon and a transitional deacon. You're married. Yes. And you're an ordained minister. Yes. So just give us a little bit of information and background about that. Sure. So for deacons, that is one of the...
1: um, hierarchies of the church, you have the diaconate, the presbyterate priest, and the episcopacy, the bishops. For deacons, you can either be a transitional deacon, and that is a for a man who is in transition to be ordained a priest one day. For us who are permanent deacons, that's our permanent state. We will always be deacons. Now, one of the things, if a man is married and he is ordained as a deacon, he cannot remarry if his wife precedes him in death. If a man is ordained and he is not married, he cannot marry. He takes a vow of celibacy. So for us as permanent deacons, we have families. We have Some of us have children. Some of us may have secular jobs. We still have to worry about um, how the yard gets mowed. Um, I was struggling this week, just trying to figure out how to fix the garbage disposal. And so we have all of those things, but we're, we're married, we have our secular lives, secular jobs, we are ordained ministers. The transitional deacons, um, for most part, live at the seminary, and they are trained to be priests. So they have that transitional year of the diaconate being committed to service and uh, acts of charity to the poor. And for us as permanent deacons, that's our permanent
0: state. And so, what are the primary duties, or what are the main duties of a deacon in the church? Sure,
1: there we have we're called to a three life or threefold ministry of word, liturgy, and charity. Word is to preach, but that's not our main charism or, or focus, but to teach and to to spread uh, the love of God. Um, Servant liturgy, a lot of times people see deacons, the only perhaps visible, when they see us at mass or at baptisms or funerals. They see us vested and serving on the altar. That's just one part of it. The main part of the life of a deacon is a life of charity. If we go back to Acts 6, where it said in the early church that um, the Hellenists were not getting the same distribution of food as, as others. And so seven men were chosen to help in the distribution of food, distribution and acts of charity. And so for us as deacons, our main charism, our main focus, going into prisons, going into nursing homes, hospitals, home visits,
0: visiting the homebound,
1: those acts of charity. And
0: what do you feel that the challenges are in the permanent diaconate in the ministry of that and how do you feel um as what are the challenges for a permanent deacon who is of african american descent sure well first of all i can talk to you about the
1: challenges of of a deacon of a married deacon as i, I jokingly said you know just trying to figure out how the um how to fix my, my garbage disposal but it's all it's the family life we have we are called to our primary vocation of being husband and father. That's the primary vocation. And Cardinal Genardo reminds us and encourages us not to forget that, that um, that's the vocation we've been called to first and one that we should respect always. So part of the challenges would be, um, I remember, uh, at our parish, my, I'm assigned to Christ the Redeemer Catholic Church in Cyprus and we were having a Sambanga B um, celebration at, at uh, Christ the Redeemer. And my wife called and said, "Are you on your way home?" I said, no, um, I'm staying for the Sambanga B Mass." And she said, "Well, let me see if I got this right." She said, "You had um, class on Monday, yes. You taught a class on Tuesday. Yes. You had a parish council meeting on Wednesday. Yes. You did spiritual direction with somebody on Thursday. Yes. It's Friday and you're staying for the Sambanga B Mass. Yes. She said, you better Sambanga B your way home. (laughs) And so listening to my wife and honoring that first vocation, I said, I gotta go home. And so when we look at things and, and and when we help men in their formation to be deacons, we tell them when people ask you or invite you to something, tell them first, I need to look at my calendar, I need to check my calendar. Okay, now we all know that we have our cell phones and we have our calendars on our cell phones, or we may have a, a desk planner or calendar, but that's deacon code for I need to check with my wife. Because you may say yes, but your wife may have other things that she needs you to do, and the same thing if you have young children or older children, you have to be present to them. So that's the challenge of being a married deacon. Being an African American deacon, uh, it has its challenges. Of there are not a lot of African American Catholics. You know, you have you have um, some predominantly African-American parishes within the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. Um, For me, they're located on the opposite side of the city. Okay. And so going into a parish where the predominant uh, population of the parishioners may be Caucasian or Hispanic or Vietnamese, other other ethnicities. And so in many cases, I was the only African-American, either sometimes the only African-American family uh, in our parish and the only African-American deacon for a number of years. And so there's sometimes a sense of being lonely and in, in the challenges of, of how can you relate about our Catholic experience and what God means to me and what God looks like to me. And uh and, and to be able to convey, regardless of who is sitting kneecap to kneecap in front of you, to convey God's love. Because God has created us in, in his image. God looks like the person that's sitting in front of me at the time. And so I try and and to um share that and remember that. When I wake up in the morning, my simple prayer is, Lord, thank you for bringing me to this day. If today should be the day that I die, let me be kind to each other and to those that I meet. Because it only takes an instance to ignore someone or give them an unkind glance And just think how terrible that would be if that person should die and you weren't able to ask for forgiveness. Or if you should die and you were not able to ask for forgiveness. So the challenge in many times for me as an African-American deacon is to remember that and to be kind to everybody that I meet in in uh,
0: in every setting. Deacon Philip, not only are you a permanent deacon, but you are the director of the permanent diaconate for the archdiocese. So tell us about your position and how did that come about and what exactly do you do as director of permanent diaconate for the archdiocese?
1: Sure. Um, the permanent diaconate program for the archdiocese of Galveston, Houston is one of the largest in the country. The United States has the largest population of permanent deacons in the world. So if you think about it, Galveston, Houston, we just statistically have um, been surpassed by San Antonio. I think they have two more men in diaconal formation than we do. But for a number of years, we were the largest diaconal deacon program in the world. And to think about that in the world, not just in Texas— but in the world. And so when we have people coming to the church, presenting themselves, saying that they want to be a deacon, we have a very strenuous program. We don't have any quotas. We accept, you know, people. But we do have some age constraints, some age requirements. And so I would encourage people who, men who are interested in the permanent diaconate, to reach out to contact our office and we can help walk them through what that those processes are. But the challenges are that in having one of the largest programs in the country, in the world is space. How can we adequately help form these men to be deacons when we can't all fit in classrooms or at the seminary? We are blessed that, We're able to uh, conduct diaconal formation at St. Mary's Seminary. But right now, we have over 400 people that will gather on our Saturday formations where we look at the human, spiritual, and pastoral dimensions of the life of a deacon. That fourth dimension is academics or intellectual. You either make an A or or you don't. Okay, but it's those other three dimensions that we that are critical in the life of clergy, and and to understand ourselves how we can minister to to people, and so we we bring them together on on a, a one Saturday a month. Our twenty twenty three cohort, there are forty seven men that will be ordained. In the 2025 cohort, we have 46 men that will be ordained. Wow. The 2027 cohort, those men are inquirers right now. We have 61 men that will be, if they make it through, will be ordained. Those are large numbers. We're already starting to plan on on greeting and providing information for those men in the 2029 cohort. Wow. So just in the sheer numbers alone are challenges for us on how we can provide diaconal formation. We pray, and it should be the life of, of a deacon and certainly all clergy to pray. But for us, our mission statement is through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, help form men to be the best deacons that God has called them to be. And so For us, we are looking at men constantly, giving them gentle and fraternal corrections on what we see um, that need to be addressed in their diaconal formation. And it's our prayerful desire that they be ordained deacons. But when you have 400, 500 people on a Saturday, it's hard to see everybody. So those are some of the challenges that we have. We have good deacons. I'm, I'm, I'm proud and blessed to have them. Before becoming the director of the Permanent Diaconate, I was the parish administrator at Christ the Redeemer in the, the northwest side of town in Cyprus. 65, 6,800 families, um, a school pre-K-3 to 8th to grade, um, just growing, vibrant community. I was happy. <laughs> I was happy there uh, being that I was the parish administrator for 10 years. And then I got the call from my predecessor wanting to meet with me. And um, he said, oh, but before we meet, I need you to we need to send you to um, to the Josephinum in Ohio to attend the Ministry and Life Institute. And Ministry and Life is that aspect of the deacon's life once they are being organized. Uh, ordained so you have you have inquire phrase you have the aspirancy you have candidacy then you have the ordained deacon and then it's the life afterwards the ministry in life so we need to send you to ministry and life institute and i'm thinking who is we and so after being in ohio at the Josephineum for a week i came back met with deacon gerald and he says, what do you think's going on here I said, well, I think you want me to come work in this office. And I said, if you're asking, the answer is no. And uh, he said, I'm not asking. I said, well, who's asking? He said, well, the cardinal's asking. And for us as ordained clergy, Father, you will remember yourself when at your diaconal ordination and at your priestly ordination, we are kneeling at the foot of the bishop. And he has our hands in his, and he's looking us in the eye, and he's asking, will you promise obedience to me and to my successor? And we say yes. If you had said no, you wouldn't be a priest. If I had said no, I would not be a deacon. Do you promise obedience to me and to my successor? Yes. So who's asking me to leave Christ the Redeemer, to become the director of the permanent diaconate? The cardinal. Okay. Yes. Did I cry? Yeah. I cried because I loved the parish. I loved the school kids. I loved the staff, the community. But I was being called just as part of my my journey, my vocational journey as a young man to, to now, to be faithful to God's call and it was coming uh, at at a, in a different voice okay and so i became the director of the permanent diaconate 6 years ago
0: and we continue to
1: evolve and to and to grow and that's that's where i am
0: today and what challenges are you facing now in as as a director of permanent diaconate what what changes have you seen from the time that you started to now Sure, well, a, a lot of things. Well, of course, all of us are, are are
1: we're transitioning out of this COVID environment, right? this pandemic, and trying to trying to just understand how we're going to live and move forward and minister to people and, and celebrate the liturgy and the sacraments. Um, when we when you don't set limits on how many people you will accept. It puts a, a big strain on the facility of, again, when you have 400 people. you know we, we can no longer fit in the chapel for our closing liturgy on Saturday. We stopped being able to fit in the chapel probably around three years ago. Wow. We just don't have the room. That was before social distancing. Okay, We just didn't have the space. And so we began having our closing liturgies. Uh, on, uh, in the gym, in Borski Gym. We'd set up 400, 450 chairs, and we'd all come in for mass to end the day, formation day. Well, when we break our people up into their small groups, there are only so many classrooms on St. Mary's property where you can put eight or 12 people in small groups, so you have people, when the weather's nice, this past this past weekend, when the weather was nice, we had diaconal formation. We had five, six, eight groups out in gardens and sitting there. But imagine, you know, when it's when it's 103 outside, you, you don't want to do that. And at some point, it's going to start to get a little cooler and begin to rain. So those are some of the physical challenges of, of having such a large program. Um, another challenge is that we have to sometimes deliver difficult messages to to men our the process is that you are either accepted into diaconal formation you're accepted with condition you are postponed or you're not accepted at all and so for those who are accepted, they come in. They start classes. Accepted with conditions. There may be things that a person may need to address. Maybe some family issues or personal issues, and we will put them into counseling. And they can they can continue diaconal formation while in counseling. Um, Postpone would be the, those those conditions or those issues may be of such magnitude that we say we will say. We want you to focus on that first, okay? It may be the family or your marriage because, again, we want to support and encourage the primary vocation of husband and, and father, wife and mother. So you may be postponed so you can work on those things. And that may not that's not all of the time. And then there are some that, and they may be postponed for two years or four years, or whatever it may be. And then there are those that, They may have a good heart, but they're not accepted into diaconal formation. God may be calling them in other areas. And so we meet with everyone. And and prior to me becoming the director, um, a man would get a letter saying, you've either been accepted or you were not accepted. And there was no explanation to those that was not accepted, so... Um, my conversation with, with Cardinal Donardo is that to be just, fair, and just that we will meet with everyone, and it's hard to sit across from a couple and say to them, you know, we do not feel that God is calling you to diaconal formation, and so those are those are some of the challenges. The joys, of course, um, outweigh the challenges and, and the disappointments when. At ordination, you see 30, 40 men prostrate on that marble floor at the co-cathedral, and the the cardinal lays his hands on them. They are deacons. And then you have that fraternal kiss of peace where you'll have 300 deacons now greeting our new brothers. And that is, it brings tears to everybody's eyes. It brings tears to my eyes. And so that's is—that's one of the joys of being the director, to see them grow, to see how the Holy Spirit has gently guided them from that uh, that first night information night where they're just asking, what is it all about to be a deacon until that day that
0: they are ordained? Wow, that is a beautiful sight. That's an absolutely beautiful sight. One last question. How can we encourage Or how do you see that we can encourage the men of Galveston-Houston to consider the diaconate, permanent diaconate program? And how can we especially um, ask and encourage men of African descent to be a part of the diaconate program? How do you feel that we can encourage? Sure. I think
1: one of the things is to talk about it. When I, when I meet a young man, I will tell him, I'll say, look, I'll ask him his name and I'll ask him his age. And I'll tell him, I said, I'm going to put a thought in your head and you're not going to be able to get it out. It's not going to hurt, but you won't be able to get it out. And he's shaking his head and I said, I want you to think about and pray about being a priest. or I want you to think about and pray about being a deacon. The seed is now planted. Right? It's just like like the Lord says, you know, you cast it on rocky soil. But once that seed is planted, it's incumbent upon the domestic church, the family, and the community to help foster those vocations. To encourage that young that young man, that boy, and and, and young girl to become altar servers once they get uh, confirmed to continue to be part of the life and ministry of the church. I think one of the challenges in the African-American community is that we always want more or we want something better for our children than we had. That person may be the first or perhaps the second person in the family to go to college, Maybe that first time that they've the family has had home ownership, having positions of, of responsibility and authority in a corporate world, and to 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 see that they have quote unquote made it in society, and so um, to look at vocations and to say, oh, you know, that's not something that you want to aspire to, but I think for us as African Americans to say we need good black African-American leaders in the church. We need good priests. We need good deacons. We need good religious. Because I look back on my faith journey, and, and, and I see that there, there was Sister John Bosco who said, said, Philip, when you serve at the altar, always wear black shoes, black socks, black pants, and a white shirt. Father Reggie, when I serve at the altar, <laughs> I wear black shoes, black socks, black pants, and a white shirt. I keep those spares in my car, in a trunk of my car, just in case someone says, Deacon Philip, can you serve at the altar? And I might be in blue jeans as I am today. I said, sure. I go to my car black shoes, black socks, black pants, and a white shirt. And so it's those things that at a young age we remember and are encouraged and fostered. And so for, for black parents to look at our children and to say, I think he would be a good priest, and to encourage them along that way. My mother was my greatest cheerleader next to my wife and family, whether I was going to be a priest or a deacon. She prayed every day and encouraged me, and, and the Lord called her home six months before I was ordained. And as, a, as an acolyte, I presided at her funeral. And so it's one of those things that when we have those life experiences, we can share those experiences with the broader community. And so I would say to to African-American families, pray about and think about being a priest. Pray about and think about being a deacon. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, God, I hear you speaking to me. Help me understand what it is you're saying to me. Because oftentimes we hear people say, what is God trying to say to me? Well, he's God. God knows exactly what he's saying to us. The challenge is for us to try and discern what it is God is saying to us. So to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, God, are you calling me to be a priest? Are you calling me to be a deacon? Are you calling me to be a religious sister or brother? And to respond to that call.
0: Well, thank you, Deacon Philip. Thank you for your ministry. My pleasure. Thank you for being here with us today.
1: Thank you very much, Father Reginald. God bless you. God bless you too.
0: This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising which is incorporated into, placed in, or associated with, or targeted towards the content of this podcast without express approval, knowledge of its In His Light podcast is forbidden. You may not edit, modify or redistribute this podcast. In His Light podcast assumes no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer, or playing device. Our opinions expressed during the In His Light series podcast are solely those of the individuals involved do not necessarily represent those of the Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston and its employees. The Archdiocese of Galveston-Houston is not responsible but does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. The primary purpose of this series is to educate and inform